cared for me like Jesus. Amen. While you take your Bible and find your place tonight in Titus chapter number two, I want to tell you the story of Susanna. Susanna was the youngest child of 25. Exactly. Susanna was the daughter of a pastor And she would grow up to marry a pastor. And since she came from such a large family, she didn't want as many kids. So she had 19 children. And uh, the tragedy of her life is that she outlived all but eight of her children. The common childhood diseases of the time in the late 17th and early 18th century took the lives of many of her children. But she was a woman who was fiercely dedicated to her children. And in those days, of course, everybody homeschooled, more or less, if they did it all. And so she started the education of her children the day after their fifth birthday. And that school day for those kids was six hours long, and they were expected to have their full alphabet memorized by the end of the day. She was a woman who was concerned about the spiritual well-being of her children. Her husband was a pastor, but during one season of ministry, he was out of the pulpit for an extended period of time. And so they had a guest preacher that was in town while her husband was out of town. And the guest preacher did such a sorry job that Susanna was worried about her kids. So she would go home after church, and she would get one of her husband's old sermons or one of her daddy's old sermons, and they would sing a psalm together, and then she would read that sermon to them. And eventually everybody in town got so aggravated with the guest preacher that they all just started going to her house to hear her read sermons. The parsonage that they lived in burnt twice. And on one occasion, one of their little boys had to jump out of a second story window just to come out alive. Her husband was, by all accounts, uh, probably a faithful preacher of the gospel, but he wasn't necessarily the most uh, industrious man who ever lived. And so she not only raised the kids and taught them, but she ran the farm and... On top of all of the stress of managing the farm and running the family, she had committed to the Lord and to herself that she would spend two hours a day every day in prayer and Bible reading. And you moms can imagine just how complicated and almost impossible that must be, but she had a trick. What she would do is she would get sit in her chair, she would get her Bible, put it in her lap, and then flip her apron up over her head. And all of her kids knew, you don't bother mama when she's praying And they said that she is in the tent of meeting. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. She educated her daughters as well as her boys in a time when boys were not educated. But it's two of her sons, John and Charles, that became the, the greatest legacy of her life. John and Charles Wesley were the founders of Methodism. And John Wesley, her son, the the more famous preacher, traveled thousands of miles on horseback and before television and radio or even microphones preached in his lifetime to over a million people. Charles Wesley has left a different legacy to the church, writing the classic hymns. We sang one here just a few weeks ago. And can it be that I should gain an interest in his blood? He wrote the song, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And he wrote his probably most famous song is the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And those men were the product of a gospel-formed woman, a lady who loved the Lord and loved her family for the glory of the Lord. But ladies, you probably hear her story and you think, well, that's great for her, but it ain't so easy for me. She's not married to my husband. She don't have my kids. My kids are not going to be John and Charles Wesley. Amen. 
And you may wonder, where's my place uh, in society? Where's my place in the church? Where's my place in the family? What does God expect of me? Or maybe you look back over your life and your kids are grown. And your kids are out of the house. That, that season of life is behind you. And you wonder, you know, what does God have for me now? Well, tonight we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul writes to Titus about the role of both young and older women in the church. And he talks about the beauty and the power that gospel-formed women bring to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me show this to you in Titus chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1. You can stand as we read this passage of Scripture. Titus 2, 1. Paul says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Nothing at all controversial in that, is there? You can be seated. And I believe the Lord is going to help us as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is for all kinds of people. And Paul's going to make that point specifically in verse number 11 of the text that we've read tonight. In Titus 2.11, he says that the grace of God has appeared to all men. And when we read that phrase, all men in Scripture, we should include women in that as well. That's what he means. All kinds of people have been brought into the message of grace through Jesus. The message of the gospel is for all people, and it is for all of life. Whether a person makes their living and their life consists of a job in a factory, or whether it consists of staying at home, keeping kids, whether they are male or female, even Paul says slave or free, the gospel is for all people, and it is for every part of their life. But here in this text, Paul not only says that the gospel work goes out to women, but in some ways he's going to say that the gospel work depends on women. Now, as you read the book of Titus up to this point, you can almost kind of get the vibe that the early Christian movement was, you know, the he-man woman haters club, like little rascals. Because you've got Paul the man writing to Titus the other man, telling him that he should train up men in the church who should be teaching other men. Here's what you teach the old men to do and the younger women. And the ladies may look at this and think, well, you know, Paul, what, what about us? Where do we fit in? Well, Paul's going to show us in these verses of Scripture, and I'm sure that Paul already knew, even at this early stage in the life of the church, he probably knew what we see at our church every week of our existence, and that is that women are essential to the work of the church. That women are faithful to pray and faithful to serve and faithful to invest and do things not only that men don't do and that men won't do, but men don't even think about doing Paul understood that there would be no future of Christianity without women. Just as we understand, there would be no past of Christianity without women. Paul, throughout his life, was a man who benefited greatly from the life and the ministry and the investment of faithful and godly women. Paul understood and valued their place in the church. But, if we're going to be honest, what Paul says in these passages of Scripture is just about out of date and old-fashioned and backward as anything anybody could write. Like, you preach this in some places and you might get arrested for a hate crime. You know, this, you just can't say this. This is left over from a patriarchal society that just can't fit in in our progressive and enlightened age. I mean, he uses the phrase, work at home. He uses the phrase, submissive to their husbands. 
This is not enlightened. This is not progressive. This is not easy. It almost seems insulting to women who have been trained to think in terms of feminism in its second, third, and fourth wave and whatever we're up to now. But there are two facts about women from Scripture that we need to know tonight before we can go any further. And that the first is, I hope you know, that women are of no less value than men. When God created man in the Garden of Eden, He created man and woman, and He said, let us create man in our image, and He created man and woman to do that. That together they represent the image of God. And together they bring fullness and flourishing to life. That men and women are of equal value because of the gospel. And the Bible tells us that in Galatians 3.28, doesn't it? That in Christ, there is not Jew or freak. Jew, Jew, Jew or freak. There are some freaks. Um, I could, I could show you, I could show you some freaks. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. If y'all were thinking what I'm thinking, you might not be laughing as much. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says there are not stations, there are not classes. Women are not of lesser value to Jesus. But it's also true, and we should know, that men and women, though equal, are not identical. And anybody who's made it to kindergarten knows that boys and girls are different. And if you're still struggling with that, then the best thing you can do is marry the one that you're not, and you'll find out quickly that girls and boys are different, very, very different. And because we are different, it's true that men and women have unique challenges in their spiritual lives. They have unique struggles, and they do have unique roles and unique opportunities and unique responsibilities. And here, Paul's going to show us the high calling of women in the church. And tonight, we're going to work through this by talking about both the older women and the younger women. And yes, this is very different from what we hear culturally. But it shows us how women in the church have the incredible opportunity to show the saving heart of God in the way they show the gospel to one another, to their families, and to the world. So let's talk about older women in the church. That's where Paul starts. And obviously there, as he begins in verse number 3, the first question every woman wants to know is, who's he talking to? Who are the older women in the church? Well, let's just do the best we can to answer it. Roman society that Paul's writing, you know, as part of here, they pegged an older woman as above 60 years old. Some of y'all just said, Whew. some of y'all said, man, but that that's most likely right. Now, if you think about this, because these women were li- women living in a world without medical advancements we have, without scientific understanding as we have it, and certainly without modern forms of birth control, which would mean that these are women, many of them, who were having babies, like Susanna Wesley did, well up into their 40s. Which means that you're approaching 60 by the time your kids are grown and gone. Can you imagine? So, that means that Paul is not necessarily talking about a number or age. Rather, he's talking about a season of life. When he's talking about older women, he's talking about women primarily who have raised their children. Women who have moved on from that stage of motherhood. And Paul writes to these women, and I love the fact that he writes to them, just because he is including them here in Titus chapter 2, communicates to the older ladies in this church, you are important. And you are needed. I think that's such a blessing, because I'm not an old woman, and I most likely never will be. But it seems to me that the life of, of a young woman 
the life of a woman is such that as a young woman, she puts so much value and there's so much importance and she's taught that she should build her identity based upon her appearance. And then as she moves to that next season of life, she gets married and she becomes a mom. And then she starts to build her identity and her value on her children. And then for a couple of decades, she's raising those babies and getting them out in the world. And then she kicks them out of the nest and they're gone. And then what? Then what? Who is she supposed to be? She's not the, the attractive younger lady that she used to be, she feels like. And she's not the mother that she was because they're on their own and doing their own thing. Who is she? Ladies, I want you to know that even if that season of life is over for you, that you still matter in the work of the gospel. That you have an eternal part to play. And the Bible says in Proverbs thirty-one thirty, that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And let me just run a rabbit here that has nothing to do with our older ladies at all. For some of you younger ladies that haven't even thought about getting married right now, you need to know that your value does not come from the way that you look. Your identity is not built upon the way your body is shaped, the things that you wear, or who judges you as attractive based upon your physical appearance. Because I promise you, that will change. But what will last forever is who you are in your relationship to the Lord. And Paul says now, older ladies, that's true for you too. So that even if that season of life is over, you're still a vital part of the work God is doing in the church and in the world. So how are they to be part of that? Well... Paul doesn't say this explicitly, but it's implicit in this text that an older woman, and we'll start here, she should be teachable. Paul writes to older men and older women. And the, the fact that he writes to them proves that he expects that they are in a position where they are learning and growing and willing to step into what he writes to them. It's just a simple fact of life that sometimes older people are not always teachable. Because they've seen more. They've experienced more. They've got to kind of, you know, we get set in our ways, don't we? We think we've seen it all. Sometimes you get very, very jaded. And just from my anecdotal experience as a pastor, I would say that sometimes older women don't always have the best reputation as being teachable. I just, I just want to see how long you're going to let me float out there by myself. Some of y'all thinking, preacher, you said it. It, hang yourself, that's all right. But listen, friends, whether we're male or female, however long we've been part of the church, however old we are, we should always be growing. We should always be learning. We should always be examining ourselves to see where there's sin that needs to come to light, to see where there are places that need to change, to see what God is currently doing in our lives. So Paul writes to older women and says, be teachable, and here's what I have to teach you. Here's what Titus, you should be teaching the older women in your church. They should be listening to their young pastor. He says you should teach them. You should, the, the, book, the, book, the book of Titus in Titus 2 depends on that. He says, you ladies are to be reverent in behavior. Now, why does he use the word reverent? I mean, usually older ladies are the most reverent people in the world, right? Why does he say reverent? Is he worried about, you know, somebody going to start a roving gang of mama bikers? What's the problem here? <laughs> well, the word reverent is a neat word because this is the only place this word is used in the entire New Testament. The only place this word is used is right here when it talks about older women in the church. And, and the idea, of course, is godliness, but the idea is the idea of a priesthood. The idea is of a priestly ministry. And that's fascinating because as Christians, we don't have priests. There are no male priests. There are no female priests. Jesus is our high priest. 
But Paul here sees an army of older ladies who have taken it upon them, taken it on themselves to function the way priests function. How, what did a priest do? A priest prayed for people. A priest mediated the presence of God in the world. A priest came and told people what God expected. A priest took the needs of people to God and interceded for people through his ministries. A priest flavored the world with the fragrance of God through the smell of incense as he ministered in the tabernacle and the temple. Ladies, I want you to hear me today. You have that potential to show Christ to others and to this world through your life. And if you study the early history of the church, these older ladies in the church literally did that. And one of the ways they would do that is, is related to this Roman practice of exposure. In the Roman society, the man was thought of to be such, to have such authority in the home. As a paterfamilias, that when a baby was born in his home, that if that baby was maybe handicapped or deformed, or even if the baby often was a girl and, you know, he wanted a male child, they would expose that baby. They would take that baby, and the father, if he rejected it, they would lay it out on the doorstep in the street to die. It's a terrible, ungodly practice. But historians say that early in the history of the church, that older women would go out before the sun came up, while it was still dark, and they would go find those babies crying on their doorsteps. And in the name of Jesus, they would take those babies in and raise them for the glory of God. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, you have the opportunity to show the glory of Jesus through behavior like that. But then he says they are not slanderers. Now, evidently, Paul seems to believe that for some reason, women may struggle with their tongues from time to time. Uh, don't you love the Word of God? He imagines a situation where older women might like to gossip, where they might like to entertain untruths, where they might like to cut down other people with things that don't need to be said. So, ladies, how do you use your words? Do you use your words to build up, or do you use your words to tear down? Do you use to, your words to bring life and grace to people, or do you bring death? Do you lift people up, or do you cut them down? Do you try to manipulate and control through back channels and texting and secret phone calls? Or do you encourage and speak truth? Just so you know, the word slanderer comes from the Greek word diabolos, which is the same word for devil. Ladies, it's possible for you and for all of us to do the devil's work in the church using our tongue. And remember, all that the devil did in the Garden of Eden was talk. That's all that he did. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty six twenty, For a lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. I don't know why these people are fighting all the time at church. Be quiet. Take away the fuel for the fire. Proverbs thirty one twenty six. she opens her mouth with wisdom. This is the Proverbs 31 woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. He says they should not be slaves to much wine in Titus 2, 3. Now that's weird, isn't it? Did they have a problem with a bunch of drunk old women at the church? What? Why does he write about this? Well, if you think about it, the only reason you would write this is because you have that problem. So I, I, had, I had the exact same reaction you did when I read this. I thought, what in the world is going on at this church? Then it, it kind of came to me, especially as I studied a little bit. In the first century world, pretty much the only kind of medicine they had was alcohol. 
That was it. That was the only means they had to dull pain. That was the only way that they had, you know, any kind of escapism from the hardships of life. And what Paul is saying to these old women here in this text is that as old age advances and as physical pain piles up on you, he says there are situations maybe then where old people look to alcohol to find some kind of relief. But Paul wants these women to be clear in their thinking. He said, don't think about your life only in terms of physical comfort. But think clearly about your future. Think clearly about your life. I think Paul may say to us, in old age, there's more to your life than doctor's appointments and prescriptions and tests and on and on. He wants you to see that there is an eternal kingdom beyond this physical life that you have a part to play in. Then he says these older women need to be able to teach the younger women, and we'll look in just a minute at what they should be teaching them. But he says that they are to teach, in verse 3, what is good. They are to have a relationship with the younger women where they are showing them what it means to be a godly woman in Jesus. Now, I'll tell you this. In almost every single church that I've pastored, it seems like the younger women crave this kind of relationship. At least they say they want this kind of relationship with older women. They long for women to show them, here's how you take care of your kids. Here's how you love your husband. Here's how you grow in faith. Here is an example that you can follow. And I want to assure you, senior ladies, that you can minister in this way that your pastor never can. You can minister to young ladies in this church in ways not only that would be inappropriate for me to, but in ways that would be impossible for me to. There's a lot about being a wife I just don't know, I promise. And you do. And you have the opportunity to teach and to help. But unfortunately, just sometimes the way we think about church, there's always that wall that exists, right? Because you've got the senior women together doing their thing, playing bridge or whatever it is that they do with their time. And then you've got the young ladies that are all huddled together going to each other's kids' birthday parties and never the twain shall meet. Paul said it should not be that way. He said, young ladies, don't wall yourselves off from older ladies in the church. And older ladies, don't segregate yourselves from the younger ladies in the church. What would be awesome tonight would be for some of our older women to go to some of the younger women and say, I'm adopting you and your family, and I'm going to help you in the name of Jesus. And for some of our younger ladies to go up to an older lady who has raised her kids and to say, our family is adopting you because we need help. That's what Paul's saying here in this text of Scripture. I like what John MacArthur said about it. He said, a training process that implies relationship, ongoing relationship, and responsibility, confrontation, and affirmation. Would it be something for the younger women in our church as they raise their families to have that godly woman who's already raised the family whispering in her ear words of confrontation at times saying, listen, this is not good for you. It's not good for your kids. I went down that road. I'm going to tell you how it blew up in my face. And also words of affirmation. Look, you're doing a great job with your kids. You're doing a fantastic job pointing them to Jesus. I think our younger ladies would probably appreciate that. Seems to indicate Paul needs it. Paul Paul understands these young women need that in the church. So he pivots here from talking about the older women to the younger women. So younger ladies, let me preach to y'all for a little bit. With the sage advice and the spiritual wisdom of older women... Uh, The younger women in the church should think of themselves as people who have been transformed by the nature of the gospel. And I can't think of any group of people in our church family tonight that are more consistently overwhelmed, stressed out, overworked, and underappreciated than younger women. Because they have the pressure of children, marriage, bills, work in most cases, that pressure to be the perfect Proverbs 31 woman, 
challenges of insecurity, and on and on and on it goes. It's a tough season. And Paul wants to help these young women. Thank God for that pastoral desire. He wants to come alongside them and help them thrive in this season of life. But Paul does embrace a totally different set of values than what most of us are used to. And you see that right away as Paul says that the older women, verse 4, should train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, ladies, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to dwell here. But I'm just going to say it because the Bible says it. That true love stuff, it don't always come easy, and it don't always come instantly. Some of that has to be learned to keep from killing one another. Amen. So, Paul says these young women need to be trained to love their husbands. Trained to love their husbands. And they should be trained to love their children. Now, does that mean that in some way they should not... Uh, be working outside the home? Does it mean that the only place a woman can really be a woman in the biblical understanding of the, the category is for her to be in the family? I don't think that's the case. I don't think, uh, even in Proverbs chapter 31, that woman in Proverbs 31 had outside employment where she blessed her family with the work of her hands. But she did that for the good of her family. What Paul's saying here is that a godly woman understands that her greatest ministry is to her husband and then to her children. She understands that the gospel sends her to her home before it sends her to work. Now, I know, I know that, 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 that I could spend a lot of time trying to defend that. Or I could spend a lot of time debating the values of our culture that says the exact opposite of that. And what a tragedy it is that even Christians don't see the wisdom in Paul's words. But friends, raising children and supporting husbands, that is a high calling from God. And we get so distracted, so distracted from all the things we think we have to have out of life. That we think we have to have so much of this world that we think, well, it's not possible for us. Folks, there are greater things than having tons of money. Raising godly kids is more important than having extra money. It really is. All right? Having a godly home and a happy, healthy home is better than having a big house. All right? And Paul wants these young women to see their home as a mission from God. Now, can you have a big house and a happy, godly home? You better believe it. By God's grace, many women and many people do. But if we had to choose, what would we choose? And what are the values of our culture breathing into us? Saying, ladies, here's what you have to really, here's what you have to have to really matter. To really get the most out of life, ladies, here's what you have to have. Paul says what you need to be doing is committing to your family. I can't imagine any scenario where you ever regret it. I can't. Then he says they need to be self-controlled. He said the same thing to young ladies. And I think, or said the same thing to young men, I think about young women and the lives that they live during this season. And I think, ladies at this season of life, they have to discipline themselves in almost every single capacity. Have to discipline their time, often have to discipline money, they clip coupons, often know exactly when bedtime is and when nap time is and when feeding time is, all this discipline. And sometimes, and I think this is what Paul's getting at, that sometimes in all of those other obligations, their responsibility in their relationship to the Lord gets lost. Like, I get it. It's hard to have quiet time and private time when you can't even go to the bathroom in peace. I mean, I get it. 
But Paul wants these young women to make their life with God and their walk with Him a priority so that they will be pure and so that as they work at home, emphasizing what he said again in verse number 4, they can then be kind and submissive to their own husbands. They can be kind. It's interesting, Paul tells young ladies to be kind, isn't it? Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 32 says that all believers should be kind. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Church, I want all of you to know, and younger women, I want you to know, since this is who Paul's writing here, you never have any right to be mean. None of us ever has a right to be mean. And evidently, Paul can just maybe imagine that a stressed out, tired young woman with a house full of kids and a clueless husband. She might need to be reminded, you know, you need to be kind. (laughs) Because sometimes, for some women in those situations, a hateful attitude has to bubble up to the surface for her to be heard, right? Sometimes you have to shout just to, you know, get anybody to pay attention to you above the din of battle. But Paul wants these ladies to see the beauty of sweetness in the life of, in their home and in their life as the work of God. And that's one of the main themes that he's going to say, that as you're submissive to their own husbands, he says, he says you would show forth the word of God that would not be reviled. He wants the Christian home, which is under the influence of a godly young lady, to be an apologetic for the truth of the gospel. He wants a watching world to look at that home and to say, there's something supernatural And there's something different happening there because that woman is gracious. That woman is kind. That woman is something special. That woman is beautiful. Paul says, ladies, this is what God wants for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Sometimes it takes women a long time to get ready. I've heard that from other men. And she's not in here. Um, She's in the nursery. I've even heard that some men get aggravated about that. But ladies, I want to to give you some theology you can throw back at him next time he makes you late. First of all, I heard one of the ladies in our church say this just a couple weeks ago. It's better be late and ugly. That works. But what she's doing when she's fixing her hair and putting her makeup on, all that, what she's doing, that is cosmetology. That is cosmetology. Cosmetology comes from the Greek word for cosmos, which is our universe, all that is, the ordered creation of God. When she's teasing and sculpting and crimping and highlighting and lowlighting and painting and all that, she is doing the work of God who brought order into chaos. That's what God is doing. So ladies... So ladies, next time he gets on you about that, tell him to shut up. (laughs) And you can tell him, you can tell him that God is sanctifying his heart by teaching him patience. So God is good and wear makeup for his glory. Amen. But notice the emphasis of those verses. The emphasis of those verses is not on this, is it? What what Peter tells the women in the church is this, literally. He says, ladies, you need to focus on the inner man. That's what he says. He says, who are you on the inside? 
Are you being a person who's transformed by grace and showing that grace to the world? Are you being a woman who's working on a beautiful, gentle, and a quiet, and that doesn't mean a meek or mousy spirit, but a woman who has a godly spirit, which is beautiful in God's presence? That's the emphasis. Then he says that young women should be submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now he finishes here really where he started. He's already said that women should be in the home or learning to love their husbands. But now it's almost as if Paul says that the integrity and testimony of the gospel message hinges on how women submit to their husbands. Why is that? Here's why. Because when a woman submits to her husband, uh, when a woman loves her children, when a woman lays down what would be better for her, when a woman chooses them over what is easy and what is convenient, It means that her soul has learned from God how to trust Him. Her soul has learned from God how to put others above herself. And where does that attitude come from? Where does it come from? It comes from understanding the gospel message that Jesus did that exact same thing for us. That He chose us instead of Himself. That He put our needs above what would have immediately been good for Him. He chose our good over His gain. Paul says when a woman does that in the home, he said it shows forth the gospel of the glory and the grace of God. So Paul says, ladies, you are not ultimately responding to your husband. You are not ultimately responding to a stack of dirty dishes or a pile of diapers. You are responding to Jesus. You are responding to God. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What a woman truly believes about God. What a woman truly believes about the gospel. What a woman truly believes about the nature of the church. And the heart of Christ. It's not necessarily proved in how well she sings in church. It's not necessarily proved in the daily devotional or verse she puts on Facebook. It's proved in the way she treats her family, the way she loves her husband, and in the way she loves her children. Paul says that disordered homes dishonor God and distort the gospel. And it's a shame that that's so mind-boggling to us, that motherhood is an insult for a woman. But that's the world we live in, isn't it? Children are an inconvenience. Children keep you from your career, and children keep you from living your dreams. And husbands, they get in the way of everything, which probably is mostly true. And so our culture comes to young women today, and it says to young women today that your value comes from your appearance. And your purpose is to be a desirable sex object. And your goal in life should be to advance beyond what any man is capable of, which for most women is probably not very difficult. And the Bible comes along and says, what you should do is you should find a man and love that man and have babies with that man and raise those babies. And the Bible is so countercultural and the Bible is so counterintuitive and it's so dissonant to our 
hearing and we think, why in the world would we do that? And the reason that we do it is because it's there that Jesus shows his faithfulness. It's there that Jesus proves his glory. It's there that God makes us into people who are like him, who are able to respond to him and show patience and show grace and show glory and perform the high calling of being fruitful and multiplying. And so here we are in a culture that has rejected God's design for the family in every possible way we can reject it. And we wonder why we're a nation full of people that need antidepressants. And we wonder why suicide rates are so out of hand. We wonder why everything is so broken. The reason it's so broken is because we've departed from God's design. And if we would get back to God's design, then not only would God be honored, but we'd all be a whole lot better off. We would all be a whole lot better off. So let me give some practical advice, some caveats, if we can. First, ladies, I want you to know, again, this is about responding to Jesus, not to the culture, not to your husband, not to your children. God is not just somehow calling you to find value in dirty diapers and dirty dishes. God is calling you to find your value in Christ. That's what he's calling you to do. That none of us ultimately, really, our value is never defined in the amount of money that we make. That's not who we are. It's not in the job that we work and not in the amount of respect that we have. Those things are false and empty gods of hopeless saviors. Our value is found in Christ, always. Find your value in Him, not in your job, not even ultimately in the duties of being part of your family, but in Christ. But then love your family out of that. Second, this caveat, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and here in Titus 2 that women should be submissive to their own husbands. That does not mean does not mean that every woman should be submissive to every man. It doesn't. Submit to your husband, nobody else's. Submit to men in authority. If a man's in authority because, you know, he's a member of the police, he's the authority in the church, he's a leader in the church, that's one thing. But Paul never says in Scripture, ever, the Bible never teaches that men have any kind of authority over women just by virtue of their chromosomes or just by virtue of their gender. Never says that at all. Second, let me say something to the men. Let me say a couple things to the men. Men, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. You Maybe the reason some of this is so hard on her is because you make it hard on her. Thank you, brother. A lot of women would gladly and joyfully submit to their husbands if he wasn't an idiot. Can any of us, can any of us, even as foreign as it sounds, can any of us... Do we reject or repel the idea of submitting to Christ? Like if Jesus was here, would we have some kind of hard time submitting to him or doing what he told us or, or following his lead? Of course not. Why would we? Well, man, that's the standard we're supposed to love our wives with. Shouldn't be any problem. If I'm sacrificially loving her and doing what's best for her and leading from the heart of the gospel, it should be no trouble. Men, you give up your rights first and you'll see it's easier for her to give up hers. Men, and I don't know if this applies to any men that are here, but men, I want you to know that if you're a younger man, you have children or you're wanting to be having children, do every single thing possible. Do every single thing possible to get your wife at home with your kids as much as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Too many women have dropped their kids off at daycare with tears in their eyes to go work a job just so they can pay for daycare and another car payment to drop the kids off at daycare. If it's at all possible. It's at all possible. Get that mama home with them babies because that's where she wants to be and that's where they need her to be. Amen. Ladies, I want you to know you matter. Ladies, you absolutely matter. 
If your life was spent at home raising your children and you never had a career, never drew a salary, never paid into Social Security, I want you to know you matter. And you did, you did the eternal work of God and His kingdom in your life. Ladies, I want you to know that if you spent your life working a job and you feel guilty, but you were doing the very, very best you can, and you trying to love your babies to Jesus and trying to pay the bills and trying to do what you can, I want you to know you matter. And I want you to know that God blessed you and God blessed your family with a hardworking mother. I want you to know our church benefits from the way you serve and benefits from the way you give, benefits from the way you pray. That younger ladies benefit from older ladies. Younger men, your pastor benefits from you. And I thank you for that. But I would encourage our ladies to look for these ways to connect. For older women and younger women. And be praying about that. Praying, God, let us, let us come together. Fellowship and disciple one another. Learn and grow for the sake of our families and for the sake of our church. We're going to have an invitation this evening. Um, I feel like the first part of that should be some of our men maybe are idiots and you need to come repent of that. (laughs) But ladies, I know sometimes just the way God has wired up your disposition Maybe you hear some of these things and your immediate response is just to feel guilty and to think about all the places where you've gotten it wrong and how you'd like to do better. None of us are perfect and God is gracious. Know that. God is good. Know that. But maybe you do need to come and say, Lord, I have had my priorities out of whack and I want to be the mother and the wife you want me to be. I want to be the lady you've called me to be. Maybe you need to come and present that to the Lord. Maybe you're a younger lady and you need help. You need to grab one of these older ladies and come to the altar with her and say, help me and help my family. Help us. Some of our younger ladies and some of our girls, it would be good for you to come and for you to come and pray and say, Lord, I don't know how it's going to look in my life and my family, but Lord, I want to be the woman you want me to be. I don't know how you need to come tonight or if you need to respond at all, but the altar is going to be open while we stand together, while Sister Kelly leads us in this song. Thank you.